Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this is a fascinating Sunday. This is the octave of Epiphany, which rarely falls on a Sunday. Uh, so that's neat in itself. But the, the Sunday is replaced by the octave of the Epiphany because that has the higher priority of celebration. The octave day, you might have noticed, all of our propers are the propers of the Epiphany. But the collect and the gospel passage are different. The gospel passage, of course, is the account of Jesus' baptism in the river by John. And it's actually the Apostle John's account of that. It's, so it's not the, the story like we heard in morning prayer um, accounted by Matthew. It is the theological gospel, St. John's gospel. And this is the account coming from John the Baptist talking about what happened, what he testifies to when Jesus comes to him. Now, one of the reasons this Sunday in this particular passage is so interesting is that it is a, it's, this is serving as a threshold of between two seasons of the church. How does that work? So the gospel passage that we heard picks up at, let's see, St. John, St. John chapter one, beginning at verse 29. Now this picks up immediately from where we left off with the gospel passage that we heard on the fourth Sunday of Advent, which was the account of the scribes and Pharisees going out to John in the desert and asking them, asking him, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you baptizing all these people? And John tells them, you know, I'm not uh, the prophet. I'm not, um, you know, all these things that you want me to be. So who are you, John? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And of course, that is the theme of Advent, to prepare the way of the Lord. That's how our ecclesiastical year begins. And all of that culminates then in Christmas, the incarnation of God, uh, God entering into the world, the incarnation of God actually we celebrate uh, at the Feast of the Annunciation, when uh, God becomes uh, incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary, but he enters into the world, he leaves that womb, he passes through that east gate, um, which will remain closed forever. Thus, Mary is uh, rightly called um, a virgin forever. God comes into the world at Christmas, and that is everything that the season of Advent had been pointing toward. So, this final Sunday of preparation in the season of Advent, we hear this passage, and then we have the season of Christmas, and we've been celebrating that. Um, and you could almost say that today is really the, the final conclusion of the Christmas season, uh, but it doesn't really fit in Christmas either. Like I said, it's kind of a threshold. It touches, it touches back to that season, but it also touches where we go next in the church calendar, which next Sunday uh, we will be celebrating the uh, and marking, commemorating the wedding feast at Cana. If you've been paying attention to the hymns and the propers for the season of Epiphany, you'll discover that there are three main events that we uh, that we talk about and draw attention to in the season of Epiphany. One is the visitation of the Magi. 
One is the baptism of Jesus, and one is the wedding at Cana. All three of these are manifestations of God's glory uh, in this world. These are the first times that the world sort of recognizes who he is. Um, the Magi, representing those not of the people of Israel, this is the first indication that God's incarnation is meant to save not just Israel, but save the entire world. Then the baptism is another example of an epiphany or what the East calls theophany, because it's not just a revealing, a revelation, which is what epiphany means in a general sense. It's a revealing of God himself, thus theophany. It's a revealing of theos. Uh, Once upon a time, I remember Bo actually preached a a sermon uh, regarding this, and uh, I think you used the word um, anthropony the revealing of what true humanity looks like as well. That's what also happens at the baptism. I really like that word. So we've got all these epiphany, theophany, anthropony. Not only do we see what God finally looks like, but we see what true man finally looks like. And then, of course, the wedding at Cana is a manifestation of God's glory in that this is his first miracle. This is the first miracle that Jesus performs. And some of the fathers rightly point out that this miracle is, uh, it's not like most of his miracles, a response to a desperate need, uh, the calming of the storm, you know, desperate need so that the disciples' ship isn't cap, uh, capsized, uh, uh, healing, a desperate need for someone who's, who's blind or in trouble or has leprosy, um, the, the bringing back to life of, uh, you know, the, the young daughter in the upper room who died. Most of Jesus' miracles are these desperate pleas for someone to help. The wedding at Cana is not quite to that level. It's, uh, well, we ran out of wine. It's, it's an embarrassing situation at the most. That might have something to do with the fact that uh, Jesus, when, when Mary comes to him, he says, what does that got to do with, with, with me? Um, but Nevertheless, he, as uh, Father Ed last week said, he listens to his mother and he responds because he respects his mother. And she, knowing her son, tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And so he changes water into wine, not to respond to some desperate need of the people around him, but rather, almost in this sense, just to introduce himself, to say, here's, here's my power. This is what I'm about to start doing in the world things that are beyond the scope of what you've seen before because I truly am God incarnate. I'm the presence of God. So here on this Sunday on the octave of Epiphany, we've got this sort of door hinge, this threshold. And the nature of this particular gospel passage, this particular story, really connects those those two sides. So the Christmas season in which uh, during the first feast, the first celebration, when we uh, celebrate the Feast of Epiphany, we've got the, the coming of the Magi. So you've got the incarnation of God and his life as a baby and a small child throughout uh, this, that season. There's, we celebrate his birth. We celebrate the coming of the Magi to, to venerate him as a small child. We mark the killing of the holy innocents on his behalf as his family uh, takes him and flees down into Egypt. We also mark the um, one story we have of him as a, a youth, not a small child, but a youth. The family going to Jerusalem when Jesus is 12 and um, 
coming back a day's journey and realizing oh, he's not with our, our caravan. And so they go back and after, on the third day, they find him. Again, that third day reference is important. They find him in the third day in the temple and he says, of course I was going to be here. I didn't, you realize what I was going to be about my father's business? And so they, they take him home and we get this, this phrase that he is subject to them. God is subject to his creation, his creatures, his parents. Uh, so you've got this cycle of the life of the young Jesus. And then on the octave of Epiphany, you have his baptism. This is the very first thing that happens that kicks off the stories of the gospel and his ministry. This is a turning point. This is the thing that happens immediately after this. He goes into the desert to be tempted. Then he comes back and his ministry begins. So this is a huge um, moment in the life of Jesus, and which is why we celebrate it at this threshold. And what this leads to next time, and we'll see uh, actually three days after uh, John says, you know, behold, the Lamb of God, and, and this account happens, Again, you've got a third day language. We'll see this next week. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. And so his ministry begins with his first miracle. So right in the middle of all that, the, the youth of Jesus and then the ministry of Jesus, we've got his baptism. And that's how this Sunday functions, not only as in the narrative of the Gospels, a threshold and a hinge, but also in the story of the church calendar. We have the season of Christmas and the youth of Jesus. And then we have the time after Epiphany, which is the beginning of his ministry. And, and then, of course, we'll journey into Septuagesima, Tide, and then Lent, etc. But here we have a really interesting day where we pause to soak in the revelation, not only of Christ, but of God, Theophany. God is revealed as who he is in the man Jesus being the son of God because the voice of the father is also manifest and the Holy Spirit becomes manifest in the form of a dove. The Trinity is made manifest for the first time. All of the shadows that we had from the Old Testament, the the, the we language in Genesis, uh, let us create, and etc. Um, oh, now, now we realize this we is a plural God, three in one and one in three. The, the three angels who appear to Abraham, um, this is now manifest that they were representations, they were figures of the three persons of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this day is just chock full of interesting things. And we rarely get to hear these types of things, but of course the church fathers have plenty to say on this feast and what, what this means. And so... I'm up here talking about how interesting it is, but uh, St. Gregory Nazianzen begins his homily on this by saying, I cannot contain myself for joy. I'm elated and I'm buoyed up. So I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in my head while this saint of God, his heart is rising to heaven because of the joy that this feast gives him. This is what he says, heedless of my own weakness, I strive to take up the office, or rather the service of the great John, in other words, he's going to say, I'm going to be like John and tell you about this. John is testifying, and I'm going to try to follow after him. He says, I'm not a forerunner, but I do come from the desert. 
He says, Christ is enlightened, or rather, by his brightness, he enlightens us. Christ is baptized. Let us go down into the waters with him that we may also come up with him. John is baptizing and Jesus comes to him to sanctify the Baptist. It's not the Baptist who sanctifies Christ through baptism. Christ, in going to John, sanctifies the baptizer. And more than that, he sanctifies the waters. He goes down into the water to drown the old Adam. And above all, to hallow the waters of the Jordan and by extension, the entire creation. He who is spirit and flesh gives to all who are ever to be baptized the sanctification of water and of the spirit. The Baptist will not receive him, but Jesus strives with him. He says, no, it's, it's necessary for righteousness that this happens. And then John says, I have need to be baptized of you. The candle speaks to the sun. <laughs> the voice talks to the word. The voice of one crying in the wilderness I love that phrase. The voice talks to the word. Jesus came up out of the water, bringing up with him the sunken world and with him. And he saw the heavens not divided, but opened. The heavens aren't divided. The heavens always are unified, but they open for the first time, he says. After he himself had closed them long ago against Adam and ourselves when paradise was shut and guarded by a fiery sword. But now they're open to us again. And the Holy Spirit testifies of him who is of one substance with himself. From heaven the, witnesses, the witness comes. He comes from him unto whom he bears witness. The depths of significance and, and spiritual reality in this feast are incredible. The passage itself is an interesting one. John says some strange things in there. He, he said things like, I did not know him, but clearly he did know him. He recognized him. Behold, the Lamb of God as he's walking by. And he told the scribes and the Pharisees all kinds of things about who was coming after him. He knew who he was, and he was, after all, his cousin. And why does he say, I didn't know him? Well, St. Augustine tells us that what he learned from Christ, what he didn't know about Christ until Christ came and was baptized by him in the Jordan. This is what he learned. He knew that he was the Lamb of God. He knew his ministry. He knew that he was unworthy to uh, even touch his sandals. He knew that he was the Son of God. But what he didn't know was how the baptismal ministry of Christ was going to work. And he didn't realize that until he saw this, uh, the Spirit of God descending on the form, in the form of a dove and alighting, resting on Christ. And what Augustine says that means is, Christ is the only one who will ever baptize from this point on. John was doing a baptism uh, to prepare for Christ, but now that Christ has been baptized, the Spirit rests on Christ, and now the baptismal ministry rests with Christ. He says, priests, now he's, he's enlisted the help of his disciples, his apostles, and their successors, their, the bishops and the priests, to baptize people into his church. But it's not them, it's not the priests who are baptizing, because Every man, every priest, every bishop has different amounts of merit. They're, they're good or bad to varying degrees. And so if they were the ones baptizing, then baptism itself would be of varying degrees. Not everyone would have the same baptismal grace, but everyone does because it's not them, but Christ alone who baptizes. We see that Christ, with the Spirit descending and remaining on him, is the worker, the point of unity for his entire church. 
that's why we are all of one body, because Christ is the unifying factor in all of that. So the fathers have looked at this story and have realized so much about the nature of God, about the nature of the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, about the nature of the church, about the nature of baptism and grace, about the nature of creation, uh, how it had fallen, but now how it's redeemed, about the nature of paradise, about how it was closed, but now it's been opened. This day is significant in so many ways. So I pray that we uh, will have the grace to continue thinking about it, but not just intellectually like I tend to do, but rather like St. Gregory, letting our hearts be excited by it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.